A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by HBO's Succession. HBO's Succession. Now is the perfect time to catch up on the hit HBO series, Succession. Watch the show critics are calling Deliciously Savage and a damn good series that only gets better. Mm. Set in the boardrooms and penthouse apartments of New York City and beyond, Succession explores power, money, and the family in the cutthroat corporate world. My ears are burning. (laughs) There's even a political storyline that is almost as crazy as what's happening in the real world. (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll be the judge of that. Um, I just caught up on Succession last night. I watched last night's new episode. I watched the episode before that because I had uh, fallen asleep before it was on. I'm it's in so a, good. I, I love a, Succession. I, I really like it. Um, oh, yeah. Brian Cox is so good in the show as the, as the patriarch. Oh, yeah. I really like him. He's, very he's good. always so good. And I like how Low-Key's playing it. Yeah. You know, but intimidating. Close to the vest. He all knows, three of the he children knows his are own mind. All three of the children are excellent, too. <laughs> yeah, I like seeing Kieran Culkin. Yeah, they all suck in different ways. Kieran Culkin, he made it through that child star ringer, you know, came out the other side. Good for him. He's great. From Adam McKay, director of The Big Short, and In the Loop writer Jesse Armstrong, Succession airs Sunday nights at 10 p.m., and you can watch the first five episodes right now on streaming and on-demand platforms only on HBO. Hi, y'all. This is Julissa Arce, one of your favorite Cricket Conversations hosts, as I've been told. I am really excited about this week's conversation with Yosimar Reyes, who is a nationally acclaimed poet, educator, and performance artist. We had a really amazing heart-to-heart about what it means to be an American as two Mexican immigrants, uh, about American identity this 4th of July, what we're choosing to celebrate as Americans, and just about the overall meaning of what home is and where home is for us. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I read something on your website today that resonated like really, really deeply in my soul. And it said, it is this skin that tells people I am not from here, that I come from a place closer to the sun. So tell us, where are you from? And who is Yosemar? Yeah, so I'm originally from the beautiful state of Guerrero, Mexico. and But I migrated here when I was three years old. And I think for the longest time I've had this, I think as like a lot of immigrant kids, this idea of like my home is still in Mexico, even though I've been here forever. So I grew up in Eastside San Jose in a really abundant community of, you know, of people. And I think for me, like it, I'm a poet, a writer, and in, in my work, what I try to do is really capture the sense of community and specifically a community that a lot of times people feel are not strategists or thinkers or creators mm. and that being undocumented people. Um, and so for me, in the work that I do, I try to highlight that, uh, how resilient and how we create our own 
mechanisms of survival. And it's always been like that. Hmm. You said you're from Guerrero, Mexico, and, and, and a lot of the interviews that you do and, and the speaking that I've heard you in, um, you always talk about being from Guerrero. And I find it interesting that you say you're from Guerrero and not the city that you're from. Uh, because I'm from Guerrero too, but I, but I always say I'm from Tasco, Guerrero. And I'm wondering why is that? Uh, what, what, what city are you from and, and why don't you sort of say the city you're from? Yeah, so I'm from a place called Atoyac de Alvarez, Guerrero, which is not that far. I think it's like five, five, five hours from Tasco. I don't know. Guerrero is real big. Yeah, but I think is. for me in general, I think it's just people don't really have an understanding of the state in general. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are like, oh, you're from Mexico. And people assume that you are from like the northern states mm -hmm. or whatever. So like, no, I'm from the south. Like, it's really down there. Um, and for me, like, I don't know. I, I really love the word Guerrero because I think it really symbolizes, you know, the tell people. Us, tell, us what it, tell us what Guerrero translates. So to. Guerrero translates to warrior. Mm -hmm. um, so I really love that. And I love that the R's are really hard to roll. <laughs> <laughs> so like only we can say yes, it, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, you mentioned uh, being undocumented. Mm -hmm. So when when did you find out that you were undocumented? When did that become like a thing for you? So I actually write about this a lot. It's like... Uh, I've always known I was undocumented. I kind of had those parents that didn't really shun you away from trauma. I I, I write, I tell a joke a lot, a lot of times that one told one time I told my grandma, like, when I grow up, I want to be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> and she responded like, well, that's cute, but you don't have papers to learn construction <laughs> like your uncles. Oh. Uh, so I kind of always knew, right? But I think I was always instilled with the idea that you know, just work super, super hard and mm -hmm. things are going to pay off and things are going to land into place. And eventually, with or without papers, um, you're going to end up being okay. Yeah, I remember my mom, my mom, my mom had this idea that living in America, you needed to do two things to be successful. You needed to work hard and you needed to stay out of trouble. And if you did those two things, it was like a formula that couldn't be broken. And then I found out I was undocumented when I was like 14. And so I, I, I didn't know until I was like 14 that I was like, oh, I don't have papers. And that means that this formula might not work for me. I mean, eventually things did work out. But I do think that, that a lot of immigrants come here believing that in America, all you need to do is work hard. Um, and I think that, that our parents' generations really believes that. And I'm wondering whether you think that's true. Is it true that you can come to America, work really hard, and that that's the only thing you need to do? I think it's very difficult. That formula is very difficult. And I think sometimes I was very frustrated because I think that kind of created this idea that you shouldn't ask for help, hmm. meaning that you don't ask questions, you don't, you know, all these all these ideas that I, I'm like, you're just making life a little, a lot more complicated when right but i think for me it was interesting because i grew up in a whole i look i grew up in an apartment complex in Eastside san jose and everybody that i knew growing up was undocumented so i already grew up with this huge community um, of folks that kind of had different ways like people knew how to um what companies would hire you without documents uh, people knew where you could get some documents like it was just like a it was this intricate mechanisms that we already knew you know and also because i was young and i spoke english like i was you know it's i think it's a very immigrant kid like you already learn how to type people's resumes and how to <laughs> like fill out applications how to lie on the phone that you were like their previous employer like all these things that kind of uh, I think for me, 
created a confidence that because I already learned English, I was already ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what that taught me. And I think for me, I always say that I've been lucky in the things that I've been able to achieve because as an undocumented person, there's certain opportunities that are not granted to you. Um, but I feel like that even that is imposter syndrome and that I'm always mm-hmm. saying, oh, no, I'm just lucky. I'm like lucky. Next thing, uh, someone told me that I need to say, stop saying that because yeah. actually luck is just when preparation meets opportunity. Yep. And I just been, it just so happens that I had, I was prepared to take on that opportunity. And therefore I've been landed doing these really amazing projects that I didn't ever think I would be able to do. So. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when we were talking outside, uh, that sort of imposter syndrome, and I was telling you, I, I've written two books. One of them became a Washington Post bestseller. The second one comes out later in the fall. And and just the other day, I Googled my name because I was looking for a link um, for, for something I needed to share. And Google like makes this little biography for you. And so mine said, like, Julissa Arce, writer, and I was like, oh, shit, Google says I'm a writer. Like, that must really mean I'm a writer now. But it, but it sort of goes to that of, like, I should already feel like a writer. But I but I don't sometimes, even though I am. So I totally understand that feeling of, like, you do feel lucky and you feel, at least I felt like because I was undocumented, I was just lucky to get whatever I had versus, like, asking for for more. Um, but you, you said something about speaking English and – that because you spoke English, you felt like you were already ahead of the game. Were there, were there things? That, well, I guess let me ask you this first. Have you felt American? Do you feel like you're American? So it's a, that's an interesting question. I think for so long, as an undocumented person who's kind of been involved in immigration and all this stuff, I've never felt. I've always felt like rejected or never felt part of anything. And for the longest time, I would always claim, no, I'm Mexican. I'm straight up from Guerrero. I'm out here in these streets, you know, wearing my little Mexican flag. <laughs> but then I got the opportunity to return to Mexico on advanced parole. And for people to know advanced parole, it's, it's basically, right, uh, a, a permission that I got from DACA that allowed me to go back to Mexico um, for educational purpose, humanitarian purposes, or for employment. I went on educational purposes. I got accepted to a program. And, and, and sorry, I just want I just want to say this really quick that uh, even though people can apply for DACA right now, uh, well, we know that new applications aren't being accepted, and also advanced parole is not allowed right now. So no. I just wanted to say yeah. that because it's not something that people can can do anymore. They can't do that yeah. anymore. But, but tell us about this. So I got I actually I got a letter the year that they were campaigning for the president, and I got super hyped up. I'm like, oh my god, I haven't been to Mexico since I'm. 23 years old like it's been 25 years like this is gonna be super amazing um and then the president got elected i was like oh maybe i shouldn't go but you went i decided to go i was like i need to figure out i like i need to figure out the rest of my life like i cannot be out here having this fear about eventually returning back to where i come from like i need to Mm -hmm. investigate what psychological effects you know like if i were to go back like how am i going to figure out how to rebuild so i went back and once I returned to Mexico, it was the first time I felt American hmm. because I'm looking around and I just don't identify. Like the culture is different. Like I have a sense and understanding of certain things that I value that I feel like, you know, I was especially in the small uh, city that we're from. I was like, yo, like, 
you know, like, where is, like, the critical queer theory here, you know, <laughs> where's the feminist praxis here, like, all these things that I was, like, that I've learned to challenge within the United States, and also I think a lot of the comforts that living in the United States grants you, right, like, you can walk to a local Starbucks and steal their internet, you know, and I think... For me, I started thinking of like this American mean to me living in these commodities. And is that really what I'm going to lose if I were to return back, you know? So it really helped me understand that. But I think that was the first time that I felt like I'm acting like a really snobby American because I'm so used to certain things, you know, or, or things working in a certain protocol. So, yeah, and I found myself. I was like three weeks there. And I think by the end of the first week i was like i'm ready to go home hmm. and home meaning here los angeles which hmm. was an interest i haven't really written about it but i'm like yeah and but then even then i started recognizing like yo when i'm when i'm also being really critical of turn american and and when i'm really kind of pushing it away i'm also kind of being disrespectful to the americans that have shaped this country right mm-hmm. i'm being disrespectful to people like tony morrison james baldwin like all these writers and activists who have fought hard to be integrated and who all these activists you know folks in the civil rights movement that have granted the, the freedoms that we have today right like the freedoms that we have today are because of people of color yeah. and so mm-hmm. for me it was like if anything i'm gonna claim being american to be incorporated in that group uh, yeah. and being American for me is just holding the country, this country accountable to live up to its definition. Yeah, that's so interesting because I, I, I wonder, you know, like, for example, like when people, when we talk about American, like even, even before I came to live in the U.S., I had an idea of who I thought Americans were. And uh, a lot of that, a lot of those ideas came from like TV shows that I watched in Mexico that were American shows dubbed in Spanish. And it was like Dennis the Menace and Beverly Hills 90210, the original that had like no people of color in the show. So to me, an American was someone that was beautiful, that was rich, and that was white. And that's who I thought Americans were. And then when I came to live here, when I went, I moved to Texas, and in Texas, a lot of people looked like you and I, right? They were brown, they had black hair, they spoke Spanish. And and that was what they considered to be like American American culture. Um, and I and I think that for me at least it's been this it's been this struggle of like I I am American, but I almost have to redefine what it means to be an American because a lot of people do think that you know, if you're if you are a white American and you feel like your family's been here for many 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 generations, you don't still have this feeling of my home is back wherever my parents came from, right? Like you view this as your home. And when you ask someone like, where are you from? And they say, Indiana, that's it. That's the end of the question. But like if somebody asks us where we're from, there's always that extra from question. Like, where are you from, from, you know? Um, but do you, so, so what to you does it mean to be an American on 4th of July? Well, I think for me, especially this year, I feel like this week, this whole month, I'm like, to be undocumented in this country is just, it's really tiring. Like, you Mm. wake up, and then they're blaming you for something. I'm like, what did I do this time? I just woke (laughs) up, you know? Like, (laughs) most people aren't up at this hour. What did I do? Um, So it's just really, I think right now, it's just really hard, I think. If anything, I've really tuned out. Like, especially my timeline of my Facebook is filled 
with all these things. And I'm like, wow, like, I feel like if I'm feeling this, I'm just going to imagine someone that, you know, that's, you know, in another predicament, but still processing all this information. Um, So I don't know. It's a very complicated thing. I know I'm definitely throwing a barbecue with my undocumented friends (laughs) at my house. That's going to be cute. Um, I think anytime I feel like one of my coping mechanisms that I've done lately is when anything really bad happens or something, a current event, you know, that that I feel it's really monumental and it's affecting my friends. Like, I feel like I feel better when we all come together and just laugh and enjoy these moments, you know, because I think everything, sh- everything in immigration shifts so rapidly and changes so fast that I think taking the moment to appreciate one another and like letting another undocumented person know, hey, I see you and I appreciate that you're still smiling and going to work. And I think um, I think you're super resilient and take a moment to honor that. I think that's what I want to do a little bit more because I feel like right now what we're doing a lot. I think a lot of times when we 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 talk about undocumented people, we really focus on trying to convince citizens to vote. So mm-hmm. we use our stories the stories of undocumented people to, to persuade citizens and create a moral crisis within the country that oftentimes we forget that there's 11 million undocumented people in this country also consuming that media. Yeah. And nobody focuses on an undocumented audience or creating media that's reaffirming, that's inspirational, that's like, listen, that just happened, but look at this other undocumented person. Yeah. Look at Lulisa, who's, who did this book, and, you know, I use them as examples to at least give you a little bit of hope in all this, everything that's dark. And so for me as a poet, as a writer, I want to be able to, at least be that you know that little three minute video poem that's gonna be like oh i feel a little better you know yeah because i think it happens a lot we're so caught up that we forget that also undocumented people are consuming this media yeah that's that's absolutely absolutely true we'll be back with more of this conversation with yosimar reyes crooked conversations is brought to you by quip it's brought to you by quip The truth is, most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, and forget to change our brush on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip so different? What makes Quip so different, John? For starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes. What? While still packing. (laughs) Packing what? Just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Oh, my goodness. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended... Two minutes with you. guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. <laughs> you dog. Next, next Quip subscription plans are for your health, not just convenience. They deliver. Obviously. New brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule every you three get, months for just five dollars. Those heads free come shipping worldwide like clockwork. My God. Quip also comes with a mounted suction right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel. You're speaking so fast through the best parts. Wherever you take your teeth, which is everywhere, mm-hmm. with Quip, you don't have to worry about getting new brush heads or toothpaste they're delivered right to your door on schedule so you replace your brush on time heads you can set your watch to (laughs) (laughs) better hygiene at an affordable price with the sleekest design you've ever seen for an electric toothbrush yeah just finally very aerodynamic (laughs) everyone loves quip yeah they were on they were on oprah's oh names Power through it, Chuck. <laughs> Name one of Time's best inventions and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Time Magazine loved it. 
Quip will even give you tips on oral care that you probably never what? knew. Well, I bet. I bet they got some ideas over there. Plus, they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers. What a party. Every day. <laughs> That's a lot of people. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crooked spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash crooked convos. Cricket Conversations is brought to you by Finn. Finn is a high-quality on-demand assistant that handles the administrative aspects of life so you can focus on what matters most. Finn takes care of administrative tasks so you can make better use of your time and be more productive. What do you guys think about Finn? Can I just be like, hey, Finn, make me a reservation at my favorite restaurant? Yeah, you can. And you can say, Finn, tonight's the night that Hannah and I are cooking Blue Apron again. That felt like a, a dig. <laughs> yeah. And Finn's, Finn, like, Finn's Finn. like, hey, Tommy, hey, Tommy, I know you're getting married soon, but that doesn't mean romance is dead. Hey, you know? That's Finn's what like, Finn says to you. Finn's like, hey, Tommy, uh, hanging out with your dog on Friday night is not being social, okay? Get off the couch. <laughs> hey, take Tommy. Take off the sweatpants. Hey, Tommy, it's Finn. Uh, I noticed that you haven't done anything with another human being all weekend. In 2018. Um, and uh, get a little concerned. Finn, block out some more hours to do these ads because they take a long time. <laughs> There's just not enough hours in the day to get all my tasks done. My options were to continue doing things myself, how I've been doing them, but that's when I discovered Finn. And like the best assistants, Finn knows your preferences, remembers the people you interact with, and integrates with your email and calendar. They make calls, send emails on your behalf, pay bills, remember important dates, and automatically get things done for you. I'm sending all my emails with Finn from now on. Me too. You guys will never know it's me. Back me. off. If you're someone who doesn't have 40 hours of work for an assistant every week, here's the best part. Finn is always available, on demand, and you only pay for what you use. Once you try Finn, you're going to love it as much as we do. And as a listener of Crooked Conversations, we've arranged for all of you to try Finn for free. You get free Finn. You get free Finn. Yeah. You get free Finn. And you. <laughs> Just use our link, finn.com slash crookedconvos. That's finn.com slash crookedconvos to try Finn for free. Finn.com slash crookedconvos. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. It, you know, it's, it's it's interesting to me when when I hear you sort of talk about all your undocumented friends and uh, thinking about an undocumented audience because for a long time I didn't know other undocumented people like I didn't grow up around undocumented people or at least like undocumented people who were out about being undocumented mm. right like I didn't I didn't even tell my closest friends that I was undocumented is something that, that I was ashamed of and, and that I tried to hide. And I, and I tried to do so many things so that I would be considered American, right? And like some of the things that I thought I had to do to be considered American were like speak good English and uh, get good grades in school. And, you know, in, in middle school um, and in high school, like I wanted to be in the drama club, but like the cool kids were cheerleaders and they played sports. And so I became a cheerleader and I played sports. And 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 so then I was like, okay, like now I'm American. Like now I'm assimilating to this American culture. And then I realized like, well, what I'm really assimilating to is like white American culture, right? Not 
because like American culture in Texas, for example, was like a mix of cowboy and Mexican, right? Like it had, it was, it was infused with Mexican flavors from like the food to the music to like the people. And, and then, so hearing you talk about all of your undocumented friends and, and I think that's like a beautiful thing. And like, I wish I had had that, you know, I wish I, I wish I didn't have to feel like I had to give up so much of my identity to become American. Were there, are there things that you feel like you've compromised in your own identity to feel more American? Or is that even a thing for like, do you even like, is, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, are there things you've done in the past that you feel like you had to do to be considered American? And are there things you do now? I or think, is American not yeah. even the goal anymore? I think for me, it's like redefining it and really uh, and really looking at, you know, I've never really encountered that. I think for me, it was like I grew up in this community. You know, honestly, I grew up in Eastside San Jose. Uh, we didn't see white folks until we went to like an art museum on a field trip or something. But it wasn't like something immediate within our community. Right. And I think for me. Um, if anything, I love books. I love reading. I I I I was a huge uh, reader. So for me, it was like I want to uh, uh, read all these novels. And I, you know, I remember reading John Updike, reading Virginia Woolf, all these authors that were like people would tell me like, if you read them, they're gonna make you super super smart, right? And in high school, I read all that. But then I started wondering, like, listen, this is not relating to me, you know. I love Mrs. Mm. Dalloway, but, you know, you know, I don't know, you know, about biscuits and tea and all that stuff. <laughs> like, I'm, I want to read something that's more about me. So then, I, you know, that's when I started reading people of color, um, Alice Walker, James Ball, all these authors. And I'm like, okay, I can relate to this stuff. But I think... Because I had that, those formative years, I had that kind of literature. I've always known, like, listen, they're redefining what that means and allowing more space for us to exist. And then when I started writing my own work, I was like, listen, I want to write about immigrants, specifically undocumented immigrants. But I want to write about undocumented immigrants, not as undocumented being an identity, because I always tell people it's not. It's a mm -hmm. social condition. It's like mm -hmm. poverty. It's something that's created. There's nothing in my body that's undocumented. I'm just as able to do something <laughs> than anybody else. The only difference is that you have a so someone has a social and I don't. Other than that, I'm just as capable. I have the same abilities. Um, so for me, like I want to write about that. And I also want to write undocumented people from this dignified perspective because mm -hmm. my grandma always taught me about that she was like listen my grandma raised me out of recycling bottles and cans like she was that lady in that neighborhood going through people's trash cans recycling bottles mm -hmm. and cans but she always told me like listen don't ever let people look down upon you because that robs you of your agency and that robs you of your power and maybe it makes them feel superior to you so I've always had that kind of attitude, which I feel is going to get me in trouble one day. Because, <laughs> you know, people don't like dignified immigrants. Like, yeah. it's a really bad thing to be like, I don't need, you know, like, to be really, it, it sounds really disrespectful. But for me, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but you were talking about dignified, undocumented people or just dignified immigrants. And I love that, right? Because a lot of times, like, when I go on Fox News and... I mean, we can, yeah, grab and see. Uh, You're like, oh, she's going in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The number one thing that I get comments is that I am so ungrateful, that I should be so grateful for what America has given me. And sometimes, you know, I'll respond to, to some things um, just because I'm human. Uh, and I'm like, what do you mean I'm ungrateful? Like, I don't have to, I, 
I think that one of the one of you know one of the things about Fourth of July that I think about very often is we're celebrating the we're celebrating the independence of America, and what the founding fathers did is they dissented from the crown, right? They rebelled, and I feel like the crowns of today are racism, systematic oppression of people, and to be American to me is to dissent and to rebel and to stand up to injustices. And like, that's what I want to do this 4th of July. Like, I want to take a flag and I want to wave it and I want to chant USA. And I don't want it to mean, because I feel like the right wing has sort of like co-opted American symbols and like the flag itself and patriotism itself. And like, when you hear chants of USA or you see someone wrapped around in an American flag, like you get certain ideas about what that person- You get triggered. I'm like, yeah, oh, awkward. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. When, when it, you know, like I, I like, I'm like, that is my flag too. Like, you know, like, but the thing is, even being an American citizen now, like all of these things that you're saying- I still feel very deeply in my heart because I was undocumented for 15 years. And like that doesn't go, like that trauma doesn't go away, like just because I have a U.S. passport now, you know. Um, so I love that dignified immigrant. Yeah, I think like that's the difference. I think I'm not ungrateful, but at the same time, I'm not going to let you beat me up or like let you disrespect me. Like I feel like that's not something that I I'm going to allow to happen. And I think... Everybody deserves to be treated with dignity. And I think undocumented people, if anything, we haven't allowed undocumented people to express how heartbroken we are with this country and to express how disappointed we are with all these policies and these politicians who kept playing with us. We've been doing this since 2001. Like, you know, mm. I'm over it. Like, I think right now what's happening when people call me and, you know, I see this rhetoric of like these DACA kids. I'm like, bruh, I'm about to be 30. Like there's, <laughs> I'm not a child. At some point I was and I was hopeful and I was like, listen, you know, they're fighting for me. And now that it's become clearly a, a football game like it's just mm. you know at some point it's like i don't believe the hype no more like it's mm. it is what it is y'all are pl playing with people's lives and you know god willing all that energy that you're putting out i'm sure you know the universe has a way to manifest it back and yeah whatever will happen will happen and at this point as a 30 year old man i'm like i need to be in control of my emotional well-being, my mental well-being, and really know that, you know, ultimately, all the tools that I need to survive and to make it in this country were granted by the people that raised me and those being other undocumented people. Hmm. That's amazing. Well, you know, I follow you on social media and uh, you make me life so hard sometimes with <laughs> things like look at these full lips and tell me you're superior <laughs> <laughs> it's true some people be like i'm genetically superior to you but i'm like how you have no upper lip <laughs> that was shady that's so shady i'm taking back <laughs> but but you but you also make me reflect so much with things like i want to know what home really means and earlier in the conversation you said that when you were in mexico you had this longing to come back home and like that was la and I just want to ask you, do you still, do you feel like this is home? That America is home? I think the people who are here create a sense of home for me. 
I don't think, I think it's just, you know, when I'm having those potluck with my friends or like laughing, because we laugh about being undocumented. I think being undocumented should be a sitcom. It's super hilarious. <laughs> All the situations you get yourself into and you're like, okay, I got to be quick with it and get out of this situation. But I think with me, it's the people. If anything, it's the people that if I were to, you know, return back, whatever happens, you know, whatever, you know, the future holds, I think it would be the people that I would mostly miss, you know, like being able to call somebody or like, hey, girl, let's go do this. And I think that is what I would miss. But I think, yeah, in a way, definitely here because this is all I've known. And, you know, I went to Mexico and I've heard about so many stories, watched so many old VHS tapes about mm. where I'm from. and But at the same time, it's not the same because I feel like, the way that my grandma and my grandpa told me stories about Mexico was also this really romantic yeah. idea of what it was. And when I went there and I saw the little house that she was like, oh, my God, we have a house. It's amazing. Like, you're going to go back and you're going to live there. And I saw the house and I was like, this cannot be what you want to return to, you know, mm. and me feeling like a snobby American because I was like, you know, like, you know, I, I can't really tell her that, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, like, my... Um, my mom, I think, you know, she 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 was in the U.S. for a long time. Now she's in Mexico. Um, if you follow me on social media, you've probably have followed all this like intense uh, back and forth that my mom has had about coming back to the U.S. Um, but I think I think she has a very romantic idea of what America is. Right? Like she hasn't lived here for now going on 12, 13 years. And she still has this like longing to come back to America. Um, I mean, she like, she loves this place so much that she'll be like, mija, even bacon tastes better in America. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, mom, you're a pescatarian. When you eat even bacon? Um, but so she, but I think that, I think that when you leave a place for such a long time, you sort of only remember the good things. Yeah. Right? Like you only remember what's good about it. Like my mom only remembers what's good about in America. And sometimes I, I, like I, I want to be more like my mom. Like I want to keep some hope. Like I want to keep, uh, you know, I, I, I actually like really love this country. And that actually sometimes gets me in trouble with like some people because they're like, how can you love America? Mm -hmm. Like, you you know, America has done so many like disastrous thing. And I'm like, yeah, it, it has. Like there's, you can't shy away from the things we've done as a country to be the country that we are. And at the same time, I still think this is one of the few places on earth where like I can go from being undocumented to working on Wall Street to writing books to having this conversation with you. And you know, that's why I I do love this country. Um, one of the things that I love about your work and the things that you have done was this series that you did on DocuJoy. Uh, and so I just want I just want you to tell me why was it so important for you to show the joy that undocumented people still have in their lives? So for me, when I did that project, my audience was undocumented people. I was like, I want to do a video, a poem in which I'm only undocumented people can relate to it. And I don't have to explain because they were like, I've, the other thing about being undocumented, it's always like a an educational burden. Like, I have to tell you, like, oh, I came here when I was three. I have to tell you what mm. DACA is. I have to tell you all these mm -hmm. things. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I just want to showcase undocumented people smiling. Like, can we do that? Can we have, instead of showing our pain and our trauma, like, ask instead of asking undocumented people, are you scared to be undocumented? I don't want to answer that. You know, the, the answer is obvious. Right. So I'm going to ask you what brings you joy and what moment do you feel like a full human 
And we did that. We wrote a poem. We shot all these amazing undocumented people riding bikes, skateboarding, like, you know, playing with their dogs, you know, dancing, surfing. I don't know what undocumented people surf, you know, <laughs> like all these really emotional, tender moments. And for me, that's what gave me a little like, you know, and I that one that a lot of people have been using like, yo, I've never really seen somebody that's really focusing on that and i think right now because everything's so gloomy i think there's a movement for people to do more joyful things you have mm-hmm. the black joy project that's documenting um joyful moments in the black communities and i think people want that kind of reassurance or a little bit of hope and i know it's not like you know it might be like a band-aid or whatever but at some point we need to let people breathe mm-hmm. and that's what I want to do. Create spaces where undocumented people don't have to explain anything. You don't have to tell me your sad migration. I don't. I don't really want to know how you cross the border, girl. Just like <laughs> what makes you human, and at what moment, you know, what makes you smile. Um, so yeah, that's the basics. I love that. <laughs> well, I always, um, I always ask every guest when I do a cricket conversation, what gives them hope, uh, because I always like to end on a on a good, happy note. Um, So what gives you hope? What gives me hope right now is just people in general. I think I've been uh, a lot of amazing people that I've met through my poetry. And again, I'm like, oh, I've been so lucky, you know, but, you know, a lot of... You've worked hard. But a lot of amazing students and people that write to me, they're like, listen, I really love your work. I think it's more people encourage me and believe more in me than I believe in myself Hmm. and that's what has helped me kind of keep going because you know I could just be chilling at home but I'm like no I have to represent for my folks and really be out here a dignified immigrant uh, because no (laughs) one's going to disrespect us (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, I want to I actually I want to usually I end on that hope question but um, I just think the audience needs to uh, and would be uh, would bring them so much joy to hear some of your work. So if you yes. if you have a short uh, yes. poem that you can share with us, I would love to to share it with our yes. crooked I, audience. I wrote a poem. This poem I wrote, and it's called, it's titled, A Poem So the Weight of This Country Does Not Crush You. And it goes like this. Some days you may wake up sad. Some days you may wake up frustrated. Some days you may wake up tired. Some days you may wonder if it's worth it. Some days you may question your own growth. Some days you may think how immense the world is to be caged in this country, to be subjugated to this abuse. Some days you just want to breathe. And baby, I'm here to remind you to sit in those moments, sit in that whirlpool. But just know there are people like me picking up the load when you can't. There are people like me pushing so the weight of this country does not crush you. There are people like you who will fight when I can't and we will take turns pushing against these walls. I got your back and in the scheme of things, does anything else matter? Even if our fight is unfruitful, we will depart with our dignity intact. We'll depart knowing that this country is losing a prized possession. This country is losing the gift of our resilience. We will watch them as they tear into each other's skins and thank the heavens we never turn into beasts like them. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, And just lastly, lastly, uh, where can people find you? Uh, Where where can we see more of your work? Yeah. So my website, yosimarriyes.com. And I actually having a show, my one man show workshop performance called Prieto, um, July 12th to the 14th at Company of Angels Theater. So check that out. 
here in, in Los Angeles. Yes. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. God bless America. <laughs> Okay, that was so beautiful. Um, that poem really is gonna keep me going for the rest of the rest of the summer, I think. Um, and just before I close off, I want to take a moment of privilege and tell you about my new book called Someone Like Me. It's going to be out September 18th. You can pre-order it now. Um, the book tells my story of coming to the U.S. Uh, it spends sometime when I was a child in Mexico, separated from my parents. And as we're talking about family separation at the border, I just want to share that family separation doesn't just happen at the border. Um, it happens in the interior of the U.S. It happens to parents who have to leave their kids behind in their home country so that they can provide for them. That's part of my story. And I hope you will pre-order my book and read more about it. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to rate Crooked Conversations. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. My handle is at Julissa Arce. Stay blessed and see you next week. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.